Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cradle My Heart. And one of the things that we, of course, try to emphasize is that we are here to encourage and equip pastors, uh, church leaders, and people of faith to end abortion, (laughs) really. I mean, it's an ambitious goal, but that's what we want. We don't want anyone to ever have to resort to abortion. We don't want anyone to ever feel as if it's uh, a morally neutral choice. We don't want children to lose their lives to abortion. And so I think that um, one of the things that God has really impressed upon my heart is that the church is the answer in our culture today. And yet sometimes we feel very reluctant to add our voice of faith and to speak out and proclaim the gospel and um, and how it relates to this issue to do the educating that people may need to hear and to know and to stand on the immoral authority of God's word, the moral authority that we actually have as followers of Jesus Christ and as his church. So today we're going to talk about this with someone who's been leading in the field for over 20 years now. Sheila Harper is founder and president of Save One. And that's an outreach ministry for uh, men and women suffering in silence after an abortion. She lives in Nashville with her husband, Jack, and he is vice president and men's director of Save One. So it is a family endeavor, and they also have two amazing sons, Jared and Jacob. And Sheila, it's just a joy to speak with you today. Welcome to Cradle My Heart. Thank you. It is such an honor to be here. I appreciate it. You know, you and I both have a backstory that includes abortion, And I want to Mm -hmm. give you a chance to set the stage as to why you're so passionate about this uh, by giving us, you know, a brief, a brief version of what happened to you um, before you became pro-life. I mean, I think in my case, I was neutral. I didn't have any idea what abortion was. And when it was presented to me as problem solving in my ignorance, I said, okay. Uh, even though I really wanted, probably would have had that baby had my fiancé agreed to it. So I characterize my position on abortion as ignorant and hapless. I was really hapless. I was like the sheep to the slaughter. Uh, I don't know how you characterize yours, but I know that there was there was trauma involved with your story as well. Absolutely. And I can relate very much to what you're saying. It was hapless. It was ignorant. It was believing what society was telling me. I was 19, and I was pregnant. I told my best friend, and she said, oh, it's no big deal. I had an abortion when I was 15, just have an abortion. And when she said that, that it's no big deal, those words just 
stuck in my head. Oh, it's no big deal. But I knew that it kind of felt like a big deal. But she said it was no big deal, and she's done it. And so I kept thinking like that. And then as the day grew closer to the date of my abortion, I I started thinking about the Supreme Court. And I, I thought, well, they're a lot smarter than me at 19 years old. They wouldn't make something legal that was bad for me. And so I trusted that thought process. I trusted my government and the Supreme Court. And all of those people I had to work through forgiveness toward after I made that choice because it was kind of like they paved the way. But then when I went through with it and had that abortion on March 29th, 1985, it's a day I'll never forget, I I spent the next seven years just hating myself, doing drugs and alcohol, and I attempted suicide during that time. I didn't know how to live with the aftermath of this choice. And none of those people were there for me. Nobody told me this part of it, that I would I would suffer and I would regret and I would live in sorrow and shame. Nobody told me that part. And so it, it was a long seven years before I finally found my way to a Bible study, and much like the one Save One offers. Now, he introduced me to a Jesus who forgets the sin of abortion and that's what created my passion. I have not been able to be quiet about it since then because I refuse to allow my brothers and sisters to believe the same lie that I believed that this was somehow good for me. It's not good for women or men or families or anybody else. It's not health care. So it's almost like I'm compelled mm-hmm. to tell people. What the, the truth is. Uh, yeah, I agree, and, and I am as well. And Sheila, one detail of your story I want you to go ahead and, and include is what happened with you with the spending? Because there might be somebody listening who needs to hear this. You know, we often hear about, oh, I spiraled into addiction, or oh, I couldn't keep a relationship, or oh, it affected my parenting. But Mm -hmm. your experience with your finances and with money, I think, is very unique, and I think could be very helpful if someone else has fallen into that same trap after abortion. Yeah. Well, I started doing things that would just give me a temporary high or would numb my conscience. And so that's what started me down the road of doing drugs. But then I started getting credit card offers in the mail. And I started signing up for credit cards. Every single one that I got, I would sign up for it. And I would go shopping or I would go partying. And I would put it all on that credit card. And, you know, thinking that it's just still in my naivety. Somebody's got to pay for that eventually, like me. And I I got to the point where I was, every credit card I had, and I don't even remember how many I had, was maxed out. I was having to work two, sometimes three jobs to pay for the debt load, to to just stay ahead. I was living on my own, and many, many times I would go a day or two days without food because I had to pay these credit card bills or I had no room on my credit card to be able to buy food. And so it it was just this miserable existence. But every time I would get a little room on one of the credit cards, I would go immediately and buy myself something new to give me that temporary high so I wouldn't have to think about the abortion. And it it was just this vicious cycle I I got caught in. Mm. And and you did manage to get out of that and to yeah. be debt free. So that can happen yeah. if someone without is, having 
file bankruptcy or anything. Mm. I just worked my tail off and finally got got it all paid off. Praise God. Praise God. Well, And you know, one of the things, Sheila, is that the, those letters, it's a lot like your friend. It's no big deal. Sign up for the card. All you got to do is sign up for the card. Give us your phone number and your information. And then you were thinking, right, like, oh, okay, well, I got a letter. This must be legal. Someone's just going to let me have things for on credit. That's right. Uh, right. It just shows you the exploitation. It really does. And tell me about the scope of Save One, because you've been at this, as I said, over 20 years. How? Tell me about the reach of Save One. Well, it's just been amazing, Kim. I I told somebody the other day, I feel like I've caught the tail end of a comet and I'm trying to hang on. (laughs) (laughs) But it's been absolutely amazing. I started Save One back in 2000. We got our nonprofit status. And and I I really thought it was just going to be a ministry and a Bible study that I was writing for my church. I, I got involved in a real big church up here in Nashville, had several thousand people in it. And and I knew the statistics that one out of every three women of childbearing age has chosen abortion, which means one out of every three men have lost fatherhood. And I knew that I could I could offer this Bible study for years and never even go outside the church. But then as we started gaining traction at my church, it was like God started showing me, hey, you could duplicate yourself and reach more people if you developed a training. And you started teaching other churches to do what you're doing here. And so we started doing that, and it just kind of took off. The snowball started rolling, and it has just been amazing to where now, 22 years later, we have 353 chapters. And a chapter is just a church or a pregnancy center who's teaching our Bible studies, uh, like as part of their small group program. But we have 353 chapters in, in uh, I have to remember, 28 nations around the world. And so it's been absolutely phenomenal. That very first book that I wrote, The Women's Study, has now been translated into 23 languages. We just got the French language in just the other day. So we're really excited about that. So it's uh, it's just been phenomenal. And I like to tell people it's not because me and my husband are some kind of marketing geniuses, you know. It is simply the need is so great that we just go and we offer and people scoop it up and they want it. And so it's just been amazing to see and to be able to see these lives transformed. That's the amazing part because it's it's not anything magical I'm writing in these books. It is literally just God's word focused like a laser beam on that wound that abortion leaves you with. And he's the one who heals them. His word is what heals them, and it's beautiful. Mm. And you have also written a book to the church about, look, okay, here's how you do it. <laughs> you, you have, it's called, <laughs> Is There Not a Cause? Your Battle Cry for Life, directed to churches and pastors and church leaders. And I love this book. It's a very slim volume so that pastors can actually read it. <laughs> it's not going yes. to take a couple hours. <laughs> right. It's not going to take a week to work your way through. And yet it's very scriptural. And, it's in, and your inspiration is the story of David and Goliath. 
And I think, you know, you've given us a little bit of context there about the scope of the problem that so many people are impacted by this. You could just work on it in your church and then you'd have, you know, a standing group every single season that you're offering Bible studies. But one of the things I appreciate about this is that you also go into the roots of the abortion industrial complex, as I call it. Um, mm-hmm. abortion, big abortion, the abortion businesses. I mean, I was talking with someone this week, Sheila, about Warren Buffett's $1.2 billion that he has invested in advancing abortion, whether it be funding, you know, medical school uh, programs, trying to create a new uh, generation of abortion doctors, whether it would be funding research that has gone all the way to the Supreme Court. And it's nothing more than propaganda. When all your funding and all of your findings go in one direction, and when you announce that you're doing the research to prove abortion isn't harmful, what is that other than propaganda? And That's yet right. he, he, is under, he works under cover of the University of California at San Francisco. And so the Supreme Court and other people who might know better and be more discerning take that research at face value. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that half of our country is confused or in favor of abortion after campaigns like this. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some other things that you bring to light that maybe the average churchgoer doesn't know about big abortion and about what it actually represents in our culture. Yes, absolutely. This whole book is based on the five words that David said when he walked out onto the battlefield. That just reminds people, you know, when David walked out there, he saw that his army that it was supposed to be protecting him and fighting for him, he saw them cowering in the bushes, you know? And, and he's like, he announces, is there not a cause? It's like he's reminding them that just because the circumstances changed, it doesn't mean that we, we stop fighting the cause. Just because it got hard and we may be up against a giant, it doesn't mean that we stop fighting. We still have to fight because there's still a cause. And so many times I have seen pastors and I, and I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing pastors or anything. Me and my husband pastored for 11 years. But but so many times pastors have been, it's almost like they've been indoctrinated or they they think and society has told them that this is a political issue and they don't want to get political in their church. And so they think, well, you know, if I I talk about abortion, then I'm going to be getting political. And I talk in the book about how we're, we're, you know, we've got to run to battle, but then also we're fighting this fight in the wrong arena. We're, we're going over here into the political battlefield, which we do have to fight it with politics. But that's not where the power is. The power is in the local church. That's what Jesus is coming back for. He's not coming back for save one. He's coming back for the local church. The church is who he's coming back for. And so that's where the power is. And so that's where things are going to change, not the local politician. It's not his job to be determining life and death for another human being and debating it in the halls of justice. You know, it's the church's responsibility. It's written about all in God's Word, how he, he knit us together in our mother's womb, how he sanctifies life. We're made in his image. We are his image bearers how we're supposed to take care of innocent life. And so it's our 
subject. We own the subject of life as the church, and it's time we take it back from politics and stop allowing them to think that they've got all the power. I don't think this thing is going to end until the church says that enough is enough, and we're not going to have this anymore. I agree, and I feel, and I, I also agree with you that this is not to, you know, drag pastors or to uh, increase their load because it's a heavy burden to be a pastor today. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we're here to equip you to go ahead and make the argument, if it has to be an argument in your mind, but to go ahead and teach the whole counsel of Scripture and encourage you that your people are hungry to hear it. You know, and and you're right. As soon as we start talking about abortion as a political issue, in my mind, we've already lost because now they're setting they're setting the terms of the conversation, and they they've framed it as women's rights, and now you're against rights. Well, that's, yeah, that's a losing proposition, and, <laughs> and that's where we are right now. And no one feels mm-hmm. as if a pastor who's going to say, "Wait a minute," you know, as you said, you can't play you can't play God. You can't decide who lives and who dies, but indeed that's where we are. And they're putting that burden on women's shoulders, you know, mm-hmm. that you decide if if this baby lives or dies, which most people haven't really stopped to think about this, Sheila. I mean, it, when it's a wanted pregnancy, imagine if everyone around her said, well, I guess if you're going to go to the doctor, you should probably go to the doctor. Well, if you're going to put together a nursery, you should probably put together that nurse. Well, if you need gear, maybe you better get about gathering gear. We don't do that. <laughs> we, we throw exactly. we throw baby showers and we come <laughs> and along we celebrate. and we celebrate and support. It's just absurd to me that the church has accepted the terms. And so you're right. The church needs to be the church. Um, you have a chapter about complacency versus conviction. And this is so inspiring to me because you outlined some heroes that really can inspire us to, you know, act on our convictions. And and first of all, right, God has to open our hearts and open our eyes to the truth that we do have a role to play in this. There is no neutral ground. There is no just being silent. Exactly. We can't just be silent. And you're you're exactly right. When you said the minute we bring up politics, we divide the room. Like because everybody's got an opinion. But one of the beautiful things about abortion recovery is that that's just allowing the church to be the church you can say you know what we we you know we're uh, whether or not you're going to preach against the sin of abortion or not is irrelevant right now when you're talking about abortion recovery offering a place for the people in your church to come and deal with this very hard subject isn't being a democrat or a republican you don't have to even say the word politics you don't have to be controversial at all. It's just literally the church being the church, allowing the hurting and broken to come in. And then you know what happens? I know pastors aren't looking for this, but what happens is they become one of those heroes, like I've written about in the book, because people who are finally think, okay, they're sitting there, and they've never told anybody about their abortion, and all of a sudden the pastor is up there saying, you know what, we want you to lay down that grief and that sorrow and that shame that you may be feeling if you've had an abortion in your past. So we've got this confidential Bible study that we're starting, 
And it's like this light bulb goes off. It's like he gives them permission to come forward and say, you know what? And they don't have to tell anybody. They don't literally have to come forward. But I'm talking about just coming to the Bible study. They become one of those heroes because the people sitting there know they're not being complacent anymore. They've been convicted for this cause. And they want to offer this, you know, this safe, confidential place for people to come and lay this burden down. And so it's absolutely beautiful. The pastor becomes the hero, and, you know, and he knows that it's all God, it's all Jesus doing the work, but he offered the place. He opened the doors for people to get to this healing, and it's, it's just absolutely beautiful. Sheila Harper is our guest, and she's the founder of Save One, and you can access their resources at saveone.org. They have outreach for women, for men, and they train and equip churches and pastors to have this Bible study in-house. And I love that because, you know, oftentimes, well, I mean, the problem of uh, unintended pregnancy is often outsourced. And I love the local pregnancy center and I've volunteered and done some leadership Mm. in in various roles and, you know, praise God for the work that they're doing, life-saving work and really helping to stem the tide. But if a pastor says, oh, you need to go over to the pregnancy center and that's his last word on it, is that really (laughs) the church being the church to that young woman? I mean... Exactly. So... Exactly. And it's a beautiful thing when when they know I can turn to my church. That says that speaks volumes. Yeah, because if it if it's outsourced, tell me how she's going to show up at church twenty and pregnant and unmarried, mm-hmm. and have it they, have it be a safe culture for her. Yeah, that's right. And we want to turn her to the source. At, in the local church, she's going to be loved. She's going to be discipled. You want her attached to the church. And so to outsource it, to send her somewhere else or to send him somewhere else for, for thought, for, you know, advice or whatever, it is, is, is counterproductive to what the church should be doing or the power behind the church. And so we want people to turn to the church, right. not turn away right. and, and the- look to the as the source. And as you said, your groups are offered in pregnancy centers, and I 100% support and endorse pregnancy centers, but we're saying the yeah. church is the primary agent for life change. Mm. You know, and, yeah. then, and then once we know the church is doing their job discipling, nurturing, upholding her, then some of the practical considerations can be taken care of in a pregnancy center or elsewhere. And Absolutely. Yeah, so you talk about proactively running to the battle, you know, how David ran to the battle. <laughs> and, yeah. And I think this is, you know, this is the answer to not reacting to culture. So talk about that a little bit about, you know, why that's such a brilliant strategy on David's part and, and can be for local churches. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and I, I don't remember the verse right offhand, but it says in there that David ran to the battle. He didn't like eke his little toe in he didn't get a committee to test the waters he didn't (laughs) you know vote on it in the church he didn't do all that he just took off running because he knew this was a subject and was a battle that god had and he knew that he could call on the angel armies to come and have his back and so i love that he is the perfect example for how we should be treating 
this subject because there are literally people dying. People are dying. And, and when, when you look at the humanity of this subject, even this, we're in the middle of possibly overturning Roe right now. And just looking at that, it is something to be celebrated, and you better believe we're going to be celebrating it. But when you think about this is literally what we're doing, it's not going to outlaw abortion. It's just going to send it back to the states, and then the states are going to be deciding to what degree or if if at all they're going to be performing genocide on a class of people. So it's like when you really get to, down to the guts of this issue, we ha- this is something you don't even have to pray about. Like it's already in God's word. We are to to protect life, and so to run to battle is how we all should be locking arms and running as fast as we can, regardless of the giants, regardless of how much they're trying to bully us and shout us down and make us scared of their terrorism and everything else, we have to run to battle. And I just love that word picture in the Bible. Oh, and it's such a great uh, note for us to end on, Sheila, because we're, we're out of time. But I, I think that you have, you have inspired us. You've not only that, but Save One has done all the heavy lifting with the Bible study materials. You all do training. And so you, you're there to help a church to implement this program to, as you say, to actually save lives. Saveone.org is the website. Are there any other resources that you would mention in about 30 seconds remaining, Sheila? Uh, they might want to look into our Finding You study as well, which is helping men and women overcome sexual trauma, like childhood sexual abuse and things like that. So that's a, a good a good place to start as well. Mm, I, thank you for mentioning that because I know that's often what drives an abortion decision. Thank mm-hmm. you, Sheila. Yeah. Sheila Harper, founder of Save One, and you can access their uh, materials, including the materials for the church at saveone.org. And I hope that you do because we're here to provide answers. I mean, it would be easy to wring our hands and focus on the problem. But there are many, many, many working on solutions, and I hope that you will take advantage of the work that's already been done for you to pick up and take your place in the battle. Kim Katola, thanks for listening. See you next time. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.